Now, the video that we saw, you know, a, a typical flat uh, lifeless marriage. I say typical, those usually don't last very long. But when the waiter walks up, the man says, can you tell us more about the flattened marriage? <laughs> you know? and, and the waiter says, it's, it's full of regrets and comes resting, rested on a bed of half-boiled excuses and unfinished to-do list. And the woman says, oh, that sounds nice. It's our anniversary. And the waiter uh, says, how many years? And she says, no idea. And he says, we, we can't remember. So the waiter says, how about dessert on the house? Tonight's selection is the low motivation pie. And the woman says, oh, that sounds wonderful. It's our favorite. And uh, the, the guy or maybe the man says that too. And together they, you know, they toast to years of neglect. Well, today we're in part three of a four-part series called I choose. It's about the choices we make in our life. The idea is that our current life is a result of the decisions that we have made and the choices that we've made in the past. And I've put this up, this, this saying that we're familiar with, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. Now that's been around for a long time. You can see the guy that originally made it. That was not in the seventies, by the way, unless it was the 1870s. <laughs> that he made that particular statement. But we are the sum total of the choices that we make. And the choices that we're making right now will determine who we will be uh, tomorrow and in the future. Now, we were focusing on four big choices. The first one we took a look at was the choice of purpose over popularity. You know, God has a, a purpose for us in our lives. And when we do what God wants us to do, uh, what happens is we're, we're fulfilled. Our life has meaning to it things go better. Uh, but when we try to live for the popularity of others, you know, people that, that won't stick with us, life tends not to go very well for us. Then last week we, we talked about choosing surrender over control. We do have some responsibilities in our life and there are certain things you don't have to pray about. You just do them. I mean, you don't have to pray not about whether or not to do them. You can pray and ask God's help, but just do certain things that God has told you to do. But sometimes we just have to surrender certain things to God. Let's let him, however they turn out, we just put them in his hands and, and let, he hand, let, us handle those, let him handle those things. Next week will be the last uh, choice that we're going to be talking about. It's one we deal with every day, the, choosing the important over the urgent. What's really important in our lives over that which presses on us day by day. But today, let's start out uh, with a negative thought. And that negative thought is this. And it gets better after this, by the way. The negative thought is this. Everybody will experience pain in your life. Everybody will experience pain. Doesn't matter how well you live your life. It doesn't matter how good your decisions are. Doesn't make any difference how well you plan. Doesn't make any difference how well you keep, take care of yourself. Uh, everybody will experience pain. Now you can make it worse and you can make it better, but everybody will experience pain. Here's what Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter, chapter 16 and verse 33. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. We all want that, don't we? In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have trouble. In the world, things are going to go wrong. In the world, there's going to be some pain involved in your life, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You will experience pain in this broken world. Sometimes it's going to be your fault and sometimes it's not your fault. You didn't do anything, but stuff just happens. You lose your job. You get betrayed by a friend. You have a freak 
accident, you get sick, you know, all kinds of stuff happen in this world that causes us pain. What we're going to talk about is though, even though everybody's going to experience pain, we do have some control over the pain that we experience. And so today's choice is this, we choose discipline over regret. You can choose the pain uh, of obeying your parents, or you can choose the pain that comes later from disobeying your parents. There will be consequences. You can choose sometimes those consequences, you know, or the bad things that happen, and, and sometimes they're disciplined that, that parents bring on you. You can choose the pain of living within your means today, or you can choose the pain of battling with a mountain of debt tomorrow. You can choose the, the pain of studying for that exam today, or you can choose the pain of having to retake that class sometime uh, in the future. Uh, in a sense, you choose your pain. Some of you will remember this commercial from many years ago where the Fram oil filter guy would say, pay me now or pay me later. You know, you can put a few dollars into a new oil filter or you can put a new engine in your, in your car later. Pay me now or pay me later. So I choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. There is pain involved in both things, but the pain of discipline actually costs less and hurts less, and it has much better results. So let's talk about discipline for a minute. Uh, define discipline. We're not gonna, this, this is not going to be on the screen here, but uh, in a dictionary, discipline will be required, re, defined something like this, bringing a state of order and obedience by training and control. A state of order and obedience. To some people that sounds great, and some people that sounds really dull, but it's actually a good thing. Discipline is training that corrects molds, perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Well, that all sounds good. It sounds like good stuff and good definitions and something you would read in a dictionary, but here's the definition that we're going to use for our purposes today, and it is, will be on the screen. Discipline is choosing because, between what you want now and what you want most, between what you want now, what you want most. You, you, uh, right now, what you would like to do is, is uh, uh, go to bed or go out and have some fun. What you want most is to pass that exam tomorrow. And so you better maybe do, uh, choose now to do what it's going to take to pass that exam tomorrow. We're all going to experience some pain. We can experience the pain of discipline, choose that, or we can choose the experience of regret. And so here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going we're to look at choosing the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. Pay me now or pay me later. Hurt a little bit now or hurt a lot later. We're going to start this by looking at a couple of principles. Principles from the Apostle Paul. And the first principle is one that you might find somewhat comforting. I do and then I don't. But the first principle is this. Choosing right, that is choosing the pain of discipline, isn't easy for anybody. Nobody has an easy time choosing to do the right thing. You may look at some people and say, well, that's no problem with you. You're a pastor. You've been doing the right thing all your life. You know, that's easy for you to make the right decisions. Well, no, it isn't. It isn't easy. It's not easy for anybody to make the right decisions. Uh, that's the reason we bring the apostle Paul into this thing. You'd think if there was anybody that had the spiritual edge, you know, any guy, anybody that had the advantage, it was the apostle Paul. Paul was walking down the road one day in disobedience to God and God spoke to him straight out of heaven 
Never happened to me, but God did that to the Apostle Paul. God revealed all kinds of things to the Apostle Paul, and, and about half of what we call the New Testament, God spoke through Paul so that we would have that today. Uh, uh, Paul tells us at one point in time that God caught him up into what he calls the third heaven. And he was in the heaven where God is. And he said he saw things and he heard things that you cannot even express in the human language. You talk about a guy that should have a spiritual edge for him. He ought to be able to do it anytime he wants to do it, do the right thing anytime. And yet, here's what Paul said about how hard it is to do the right thing. This is in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. If you know the scripture, you like it. Might confuse you sometimes, but you like it. Romans 7, 15 says this. Paul says, for what I'm doing, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on in my life a lot of times. For what I will to do, that is what I want to do, I have a desire to do, that I don't do, I don't practice. But what I hate that's what I do. Kind of crazy sounding, isn't it? Now, I'm going to do something a little different today as far as reading these scriptures is concerned. I usually just use one version of the Bible. I'm going to read it in that version, which is New King James Version, which is what I use most of the time or a lot of the time. But I also like to use the New Living Translation for explanatory purposes. And so let's read that in the New Living Translation. Paul said, Romans 7:15, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right. You feel like that sometimes? I want to do the right thing. I really, really, really want to do the right thing. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You ever feel that way? Did you ever do that? You know, that chocolate cake is in there. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. You know, I'm just going to have that little teeny piece. And I look, next thing I knew, I had chocolate smeared all over my face and the whole cake was gone. I really didn't intend to do that blowing my stack and saying all those nasty things that I said, that was the last thing I wanted to do. But I ended up doing the la what I hate doing. I ended up doing that particular thing. I want to do what's right, Paul said, but I can't. I work and I try and boom, I end up doing the thing I hate to do the most. And you thought you were the only one like that. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were the only one that felt that way and that everybody feels that way. And Paul the Apostle, this guy that, that God used in such a great way, expressed it like that. And then we go on in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in this body of mine, this, this nature that I have, nothing good dwells. I belong to God now. I, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven uh, one day. Uh, and, and I know that God is, the Holy Spirit lives within me. And yet I know that in my fleshly nature, there's not one good thing about me. For to will, that is to want to do, is present with me. But how to perform, how to do that which is good, I find not. Verse 19 says, for the good that I will to do, I don't do. I do not do. The good things that I want to do, I don't do them. But the evil that I will not to do, that is that I don't want to do, that I practice. Let's read the New Living Translation puts it like this. I like reading it twice. These are it's just, I mean, don't you feel that way? Haven't you been there? Many, you know, every day in your life, verse, verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right. I can't. Verse 19. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I want to do what's wrong. I, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Been frustrated like that. 
you knew what was right and you intended to do what was right and you ended up doing what was wrong. Paul talks about you. Have you ever been frustrated because you knew that and then you ended up doing the wrong thing? That's what really gets to me, you know. If, 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 I, if I make a mistake, it doesn't bother me that much. But if I knew ahead of time it was the right thing to do and I did the wrong thing, oh boy, I just get so mad at myself when that happens. So Paul says this in Romans 7, verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, wretched human being that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? What hope is there for a person like me that, that wants to do the right thing and knows the right thing and does the wrong thing? What hope is there for me? Verse 25, he says, Thank God. Thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. He says, what hope is there for me? My hope is only in Jesus. New Living Translation puts it like this, verse 24. Oh, what a miserable, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind I really want to do the right thing. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. I guess keep getting sucked back in to doing the wrong thing. And here's what Paul is telling us. Paul is saying that, that no matter who you are and no matter what advantages you might have, even the advantages that Paul had or the advantages I have, great parents, you know, grew up in a Christian home, but dad was a pastor, all that kind of stuff. No matter what advantages you have, you will get it wrong in the long run if you depend on your own strength. If you just say, I'm going to grit my teeth and I will do the right thing, you know what's going to happen? You're going to do the wrong thing. You do not have the ability within yourself to choose the right thing. Only by God's strength can you choose the right thing. Only by the power of Christ in you can you choose to do the right thing. Only by the power of Christ can we choose what we want most over what we want now. Because if we just do it in our own strength, we're going to take what I want right now. So we looked at this first principle from Paul, and I think it's important for us to understand this. Choosing the right thing, choosing the pain of discipline over the pain of regret is not easy for anybody. It won't be easy for you. It's not easy for me. It wasn't easy for Paul. Never has been easy for anybody else. But here's the second principle. Principles from Paul, is, we're just going to call this the how principle. <laughs> you know, okay, how do I do that? Okay, what do I do? Now, Paul talked about how difficult it was uh, to choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret, but he did it. He did ultimately, he said, I can't do it, and yet he did it. So how did Paul do that? How did he live his life for Jesus? How did he choose what he wanted most over what he wanted now? How can this guy who says, I can't get it right, how do you, how do you get it right? Uh, we want to look at that, we'll learn some things from him. So let's see how his life progressed. Now, we were reading in the book of Romans. Here's something that Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, the next book in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. He wrote this, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Everybody runs the race, but one wins, right? One receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, the prize, that you be the winner of the race. Now, Connor ran 
cross-country this year, first year. I had never been to a cross-country meet in my entire life. You know, sometimes you see them and sometimes you don't. They go off into the wood and they come back. You don't know what they were doing out there <laughs> running around. Uh, and here's what I, I know. Uh, you go to a cross-country meet and there would be a mass of people. Sometimes it was all the boys and all the girls of, of every grade, you know, 7th grade through 12th grade or 6th grade through 12th grade. Sometimes there were some younger ones even involved. They would run. Sometimes it'd be, it'd be varsity girls and uh, then junior varsity girls and, and varsity boys and, and, and junior varsity boys and, and that kind of stuff. But whatever group it was, there would be this mass of people and, and, it, it, and they run in mass and they funnel them into a, 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 a smaller area, you know, after you've run across the field or, or something like this. A mass of people would start out all bunched together, one finished. If there was 100 running or 200 running or 50 running or 25 running, however many started, a mass started out, one came across the finish line first. In the Christian life, the race that is this life, it's a little different from that because in our race, everyone can win the prize. You can't, that can't happen in any other race. But in the Christian race, everyone can win the prize. The prize is not heaven, by the way. You get that because you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. That's not the prize. The prize is the rewards that you have uh, for serving him. But you win the prize. In order to win the prize, you have to run to win. Run in such a manner that you get the prize. The New Living Translation translates that 24th verse like this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. So whatever you do, run in such a way that you will get the prize. Run to win the race. So how do I run to win the prize? The next verse, verse 25, says this. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 says this. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, in all things. I just left that word in because some of us might think of the temperance movement, you know, back in the early 1900s or something of that nature. That word temperate means exercises self-controlled or is disciplined. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, exercises self-control in all things. Now they, these people that were running in these ancient races, the Isthmian Games and the Olympic Games, the ancient games, uh, these people uh, uh, did it to obtain a perishable crown, a, a crown that was made of something that would be de deteriorate, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Here's the way the New Living Translation puts it. All athletes are disciplined in their training. You're going to run in a race, you discipline yourself. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. All athletes are disciplined. Back to Connor in cross country for a minute. Connor goes to Pensacola Christian Academy, small school in comparison to the other schools that are competing for most of these other schools that are competing. But did you know that Pensacola Christian Academy has the top cross-country runner in the entire district last year and this year? This guy takes off in the mass, and when everybody comes across the finish line, there's Tucker, is that is his name? Tucker? Hunter, Hunter, okay, his name's Hunter, Hunter, uh, there's Hunter, and then way back there, you know, just coming out of the woods is the next person, and five minutes later, ten minutes later, other people come out uh, of the woods and cross the finish line. Uh, what, what is it that makes Hunter so good? 
Well, he gets up every morning, not just on competition day. He doesn't wait for uh, uh, practice at school. He gets up every morning, rain or shine, cold or heat, feeling like it or not feeling like it, and he runs at least six miles every morning, twice the length of the 5K race that they run uh, in, in cross country. When he might prefer to eat pizza and lay in bed and watch TV and play video games and have chocolate cake, he chooses what he wants most over what he wants now. He chooses to get up and be a disciplined athlete and train so that he'll get what he really wants, which is that guy that crosses the finish line way before anybody else crosses the finish line. Similar to the athletes in the, mentioned the Isthmian Games, the Isthmus of, of Corinth, and, and the, the Olympic Games on the plains of Olympia near the ancient city of Olympus. Uh, but they would discipline themselves. I just read a couple of things, kind of interesting as you read descriptions of these ancient athletes. One more modern writer says train, they, training for 10 months was required under the direction of trained judges. Abstinence from wine was required and a rigid diet and a regiment of habits. They were trained and very specific and very disciplined. Epictetus, a first century Greek philosopher, says, and of course this is an, English, an ancient English translation, thou must be orderly, living on spare food, abstain from confections. We didn't abstain from confections this morning. We had birthday cake, you know, but that's anything. Abstain from confections. Make a point of exercising at the point of time. That is, when you're supposed to exercise, you ex exercise in heat and in cold. Not drink cold water nor wine at hazard. You stay away from that stuff. Horace, which was a first century poet, he said, the youth who would win in the wraith hath borne and done much. That is, he's worked hard. He hath sweat and been cold. He hath abstained from love and wine. He disciplined himself. Paul is telling us here that life is like these ancient games. It's like a race for which you must train and discipline yourself. How is it possible to make the right choices? You make the right choices because every day, every hour of every day, you're, you're concentrating, you're focusing on discipline and doing the right thing. Now, we do it. Uh, they did it for a, uh, a temporary crown. Uh, 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 one of the one encyclopedia says the victor's prize originally was a crown of dry wild celery. That sounds interesting. It was changed to a pine wreath in Roman times. The pine being the sac sacred to the god Poseidon. As followers of Jesus Christ, the prize that we run for run for is much better than that. Is eternal reward. I'm going to say again, it is not heaven. You go to heaven because you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. Uh, it has nothing to do with the deeds that you do. But the deeds that you do are because you love God and because you want to please God, because you want to serve God by serving others, and because there is eternal reward for you in those particular things. And that's the why we should why we should run to win every day. You can't run to win one day of the week. You won't win. You'll lose. You'll make wrong choices. You have to run to win seven days out of the week. Not Sunday or even Sunday and Wednesday or Sunday and Tuesday or Sunday and Thursday or something of that nature. If you want to make the right choices, you run to win every day. In the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews wrote this similar, talked about racing. You know, Paul loved that, loved uh, uh, athletics. That's why it's okay to 
to watch your favorite team play on television. Paul did that. He watched the games. He loved athletics. Hebrews 12.1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, we have all these people that we know about and have been written about who did the right thing. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We all have some sin that ensnares us. That word means ambushes us or encircles us or just gets us all tangled up. Let us run with endurance. Here's something about this race. It's an endurance race, this race that we're involved in where we're trying to make good decisions. It's an endurance. It's long distance. It's a lifetime race. And it is set before us by God. The New Living Translation says it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. The ancient athletes sometimes would strap weights onto themselves, but probably this is just talking about the fact they took off everything that, that inhibited them, including clothing. It disturbed me a little bit about modern athletes, by the way. I'd like to see them wear a little bit more. <laughs> Sometimes, and this is not telling you to strip off your clothes, but it's saying whatever holds you back, whatever holds you back and keeps you from doing what's right, uh, uh, don't just get rid of that. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. God is the one who put it there. So we get up every day. I was asking April, how's school going? She looked at me and I looked back at her and I said, you just get up every day and you go do what you're supposed to do, right? She said, yeah, that's right. She loves school and she loves her kids and all that kind of thing, teaching. She's a teacher, not, not a student, or maybe she's both. But uh, what we're talking about, it's an endurance race. Sometimes you feel like it, sometimes you don't. But you just get up and you do the right thing every day and that's that you train yourself and you get used to doing things that helps you to make your, your decisions right. Uh, and here's... Uh, the, the question that comes up, so how do I do that? How do I get up every day and do the right thing? Well, verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2, New Living Translation says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. Now, here's what Jesus did. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He died on the cross. For, it was horrible. The most horrible thing that's ever happened to any person happened to Jesus. But because of the joy awaiting him, because of the fact that he, would, uh, that he would be victorious, because of the fact that you could spend eternity with him, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Simple things, sermons and upon sermon involved here, but pray continually. Read and study your Bible daily. Consider His will in everything. His will in everything. Don't disregard Him in any decision, big or small. Spend as much time as you can fellowshipping with God's people. Apply the things that you learn. Paul continued this idea. That was Hebrews. Paul continued this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. He said this, Therefore, I run thus. This is how I run. Paul said, When I run a race, this is how I do it. Not with uncertainty. Got the goal in mind, disciplined. This is how I fight. Not as one who beats the air. I'm not flailing around. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I get control of myself, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Disqualified from the race. Not from heaven, but from the race. New Living Translation 
says this. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I run with purpose in every step. That's important. Every step, every little thing, every day. Every step matters. Every day, every hour, every minute, every decision matters. There's never a moment in my life when I don't need Jesus. I cannot go on cruise control. If I try to go on cruise control, I will just mess up royally. It doesn't make any difference who you are. There's a battle. And the battle doesn't get easy. Now, there may be times when you don't struggle as much. I'm not saying that it's just uh, all the time. But you're never going to reach a point in your life when you're so tough and you're so strong and you're so highly spiritual (laughs) that you cannot be attacked because you can be. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, when you don't involve Jesus in every step, you're in for trouble. Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So we're in a race. Paul says this thing about choosing the right thing, it ain't easy. And it's not automatic. And don't think you got it locked up any time in your life because it is hard, 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 hard to do. But here's what you have to do. You have to be like an athlete who trains and disciplines himself and, and says, so boy, I would really like to be doing that, but it keeps me from doing what God wants me to do. It keeps me from doing what is really important. So, Here's a question, two questions actually, two application questions as we close. This could be the turning point of your life, maybe this point important for you, but first question is this, what do you want most? And give me something real, not want to win the lottery, because if I had 50 million or 280 million dollars or whatever, I think I would take care of me uh, for the rest of my life, even if I lived to be twice 90, I think that would, that would do it. Uh, give me something other than a million dollars or three wishes from Aladdin's lamp. Give me something. What do you really want? Uh, how about a great marriage? Maybe that's at the top of your list. Or to be debt free. Or to get through school. You know, get that diploma. Uh, or uh, to, for your children to be successful and godly. To be in better shape. Uh, to be out from under your student loan. To, uh, to, to be close to God. What is it that you really want? Now, you may feel, boy, I got so many things. I don't know where to start. Well, just pick one. You pick 10, you won't be able to do it, but just pick one and work on that. So what do you want most? And then the second question is this, what do you need to do now? What do you need to do to choose now, excuse me, to achieve what you want most? You want to be the person God wants you to be? We talk about it all the time. Read and study His Word every day, every day, every day. Pray about everything, not just some things. Do what you know is right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. Well, how about just doing what you're supposed to do today? You know, and, and let tomorrow take care of itself. Spend time in community with God's people. Spend time at church. Spend time fellowshipping with God's people other places. You know, if you want to be, be what God wants you to be. You want to lose 20 pounds? Diet and exercise. Might have to get some, some professional help <laughs> somewhere along the line. You might need a trainer. You might need a doctor. You know, because people have different kinds of physical issues. You want to have a better marriage? Get closer to God. Don't make everything all about you and what you want and the needs in your life. Put your spouse first. Communicate. You may think you're communicating, but probably not. I, I think I'm communicating a lot of times that I'm not. Do fun stuff together. I say this, do fun stuff together. You want to stay married, stay happy, do fun stuff. 
together. Not just hard stuff, not just family stuff, but fun stuff together. You want to get out of debt? Get a job. Spend less. Track your spending. You got to know where it's going, right? Take a financial class. It's all hard work. I'm not going to put the, I didn't put the word in, in the, uh, in, uh, in, on the screen, but I should have put the word work about this big up there. It's work, 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 work. Choose your pain. So what do you want most? Think about it. What do you want most? <clears throat> if you don't think about that, you're never going to get it. What do you want most? Number one thing. And what do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? Now, <clears throat> One of the keys to this whole thing. You know, Paul said, what a wretched man I am. How am I going to do this? Thank God, Jesus is the answer. You know, Thank God, Jesus is the answer, right? Now, first thing you need is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You need to know that you've put everything in God's hands through Jesus, that you're going to heaven one day. Because you can slip and slide and do all kinds of stuff and mess up and be good and be bad and be all around. God's got you. Trust Christ as your Savior. Know that you have turned everything over to Him. It's called being saved. It's called being born again. A lot of different phrases are used in Scripture. But know that you have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You do that by understanding that you can't make it on your own. You do that by understanding that you have to trust Christ as your personal Savior. You have to turn everything over to Him. Then once you've done that, once you've trusted Christ, as your Savior, then you can put Him first in everything that you do. So let's bow our heads together right now, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the life that we have in Him. Thank you for caring about us and working in our lives. Thank you that you're always available to us, and all we have to do is turn to you. And as we turn to you, I know that you'll accept us. Guide us in, first of all, answering the question, what do I want most? And then secondly, what do I need to choose now in order to make that a reality? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?